to be here with you this morning. As Devin said, my name is Dan, and I'm doing a residency here at Christ Church while I work on my MDiv at Trinity. Spend most of my time at the Lake Forest campus, but I've been here uh, at Highland Park on a number of occasions, and it's wonderful to be back here with you this morning. I want to begin this morning uh, by reflecting on some common answers that I've heard to the greeting, how are you? When I think back to high school, I remember having the same conversation with my friend Aaron every week at youth group. Aaron, how are you doing tonight? Tired. I mean, I'm, I'm good, but I'm, I'm really, really tired. Oh, me too, I would say. Me too. <laughs> same thing every week. Then I fast forward to college. Think about how this question was answered in college. How are you doing today? I'm good. I mean super busy, but I'm, I'm really good. And being busy, boasting about your full schedule, your most recent all-nighter, these were badges of pride, things that, that you would share almost at every opportunity that you could. Now, when I, when I think about the question today, when I hear it, when I ask it, some of the responses that I get, I think the, the pride in busyness is maybe a little bit more subtle, but it's still there. Hey, how you doing today? I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm staying busy, but it's life. You know, th- you know things, are, things are good. I think that these responses are indicative of a general trend in our culture to be too busy, to be working too much and not resting enough. But rest is important to God. Work is important too, but rest is equally as important. And I think it's something that our culture tends to not to do very well. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was given as a day of rest. But I think today the concept of Sabbath has become a little bit fuzzy, both in theory and in practice. So this morning, I want to bring a little bit of clarity around the idea of the Sabbath. And I want to do it by asking and answering three questions. What is the Sabbath? What did Jesus think about the Sabbath? And should we practice the Sabbath today? So these three questions are going to guide us through our time this morning. And the passage that we're going to be looking at primarily is our next passage in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 6, 1-11. This passage comes to us in two scenes, both of which are controversies between Jesus and the Pharisees about the Sabbath. So I'm going to read the passage. It's going to be on the screen. You can follow along there or in your Bibles in front of you. This is Luke 6, verses 1-11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, 
I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we look at this passage this morning, as we look at the concept of Sabbath, that your spirit would, would be present, working, Lord, that you would give us soft hearts and open ears to hear and to learn from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's jump into our first question. What is the Sabbath? We can really only understand this passage in Luke if we understand a little bit more about what the Sabbath is. So I'm going to walk us through four facts about the Sabbath that we see from the Old Testament. The first is that Sabbath is rest from work. This is the most basic thing that we can say about the Sabbath. It's the time when work is supposed to cease and we rest. And we see a pattern in Scripture. It says, work for six days... But on the seventh day, you shall rest. So both work and rest are a necessary and good part of life. This is the way that it was even before the fall. These things are necessary and good. Work is what gets more emphasis, but rest is equally as important. And Sabbath is the practice by which rest becomes a regular part of our lives. So Sabbath is rest from work. Sabbath is also given by God. And we see this both in God's example and in his commands. So God was actually the first one to take a Sabbath. He's the first one to observe Sabbath. If we look back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, it says that on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from his work that he had done in creation. Now, this is a, a bit strange at first. When we think about God resting, what does it mean to say that God rested? Well, I don't think it's saying that he was tired, right? If you ask God how he was doing after the six, day six of creation, he wouldn't have said, tired. I'm, really t- I'm good, but I'm really tired. Right? That would not have been God's response. That's not what we see in the text. Instead, what it says is that God rested because he had finished his work. So God doesn't rest because he's tired, but he rests because he's finished his work. And as he does that, he sets this pattern, this pattern of working for six days and resting for one. And then God also commands his people to observe the Sabbath as well. And we see this in the Ten Commandments, right? One of the commandments is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then, as Moses is giving the Ten Commandments, he ties it back in with what's said about the Sabbath in Genesis. He goes back to Genesis 2, and he says, right after he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, he says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the pattern of working for six days and resting for one is seen in God's actions in creation and in the commands that he gives to his people. And God's actions are meant to be the pattern that his people follow in this. Well, 
the third thing that we see from the Old Testament about the Sabbath is that the Sabbath is meant to restore. The Sabbath was never meant to be a burden. Right? The Sabbath was meant to be a day of restoration. And anyone who's ever felt overworked, this is sort of intuitive. You know that the only way to recover from being tired is to rest. But the idea of observing the Sabbath for the purpose of restoration actually goes even beyond humans, beyond our experience in the world. And it's seen in the rest of creation. So in the Old Testament, we also see something that's called the sabbatical year. This was every seventh year, people were to to let their fields rest. They weren't supposed to plant them. They weren't supposed to harvest them. They were just supposed to let them lie fallow for a year, one year in every seven. And there's many, multiple reasons for why this was, but the one that I want to talk about this morning uh, is actually informed more by what we know about agriculture today. And that's that the best way to restore the soil with the nutrients that it needs to produce crops year after year is to let it rest regularly, to to let the field just rest and and produce what it produces, uh, but not to plant and not to harvest. This allows the soil itself to be restored. So we see that God's plan for the Sabbath goes far beyond us just resting one day in seven. It's actually built into the very fabric of creation. So everything, plants, animals, humans, we're all meant to rest. We're all meant to observe the Sabbath. The fourth thing to say about the Sabbath is that it was a sign of Israel's covenant faithfulness to God. The Sabbath, unlike other things, was meant to set Israel apart from the people around them. Resting one day in seven was not something that was common in the ancient world. The Israelites were the only ones that were doing this. And there's not a a great exact parallel for that today, but I think there's an analogy that might be helpful, and that is a wedding ring. I wear this wedding ring on my finger every day as a symbol, as a sign to the people around me that I'm married. I'm taken. I'm I'm not on the market. I've got a wife. And more than that, I intend to be faithful to my wife. So when people see this ring, they know that I'm intending to be faithful to my wife. The Sabbath functions something like that for ancient Israel. This was the sign of their faithfulness to Yahweh. And this is why the prophets and later the Pharisees are so adamant about people observing the Sabbath. Because this was the thing that showed that they were intending to be faithful to God. And when people stopped observing the Sabbath, which they did over and over again, it was a sign that Israel's faithfulness is gone. They're no longer continuing to be faithful to God. So, Sabbath has rest from work. It's given by God. It's meant to restore. And it's a sign of covenant faithfulness. But the interesting thing is that as important as the Sabbath is in the Old Testament, the Sabbath commands are generally pretty vague. We don't get a lot of details about what it actually looks like to observe the Sabbath. But by Jesus' day, the Pharisees had taken on the role of interpreting the law for the people. They wanted to make sure that people were being faithful to God and that they were observing the commandments. One of the ways that they did this was by building what they called a fence around the law. 
So they made more strict laws that would keep people from breaking the actual law of God. And their, their heart in this was, was partly on the right track. Right? They wanted people to be faithful to God, so they came up with these lists of laws that would help people know what to do when they came to a command like the Sabbath that just says, stop working and rest. So they fleshed out sort of what that meant for the people. And in the case of, of the Sabbath, they came up with detailed lists of what was actually work and what could be allowed on the Sabbath because it technically wasn't work. So this is the, the place that the Pharisees are coming from. So that gives us sort of a, a big picture of what the Old Testament says about the Sabbath and how it was practiced in Jesus' day. So with that in mind, let's move back to our passage. And let's look at the question of what did Jesus think about the Sabbath? Because that's a very important question. So if we go back to Luke 6, we start in verse 1, and we read, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, the Pharisees weren't actually objecting to what the disciples were doing. Right? They were in someone else's field, and they were plucking some grain from the stalks. Now, in the Old Testament, that's actually permitted. Right? People weren't supposed to harvest every area of their field. They were supposed to leave part of it unharvested so that as people were walking through, they could pick some of the grain and eat it. So the Pharisees aren't objecting, and the Pharisees would have known that. They're not objecting to what the disciples are doing. They're objecting to when the disciples are doing it. They're doing it on the Sabbath. Right? They're working on the Sabbath. This is where we run into some of the fence laws that the Pharisees had created. Because according to these laws that the Pharisees had put in place, the disciples were actually guilty of working on the Sabbath in four different ways. They were reaping, threshing, winnowing, and grinding the grain, all of which had been outlawed by the Pharisees. So, so they come to Jesus and they accuse him. Why, why are you breaking the Sabbath? Why are you breaking these laws? Well, Jesus' response is interesting. He doesn't try to defend the, the action of his disciples by attacking these laws that the Pharisees have put in place. That's not his strategy. Instead, he starts talking about David. Right? And, and this is really interesting. So, so he, he's referring to a story in 2 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 21 when he says, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he also gave it to those who were with him. So in the story that Jesus is referring to, David and his men were fleeing for their lives from King Saul. And they get to this priest. And there's this thing called the bread of the presence, which is only allowed for the priests to eat. But David and his men were hungry, and they were on the run, and the only thing to eat is this bread. So the priest says, okay, eat this bread. And they eat it. And we don't see any condemnation. Right? There's no indication that what they did was wrong or that God didn't approve of it. So why does Jesus bring this up? What is he saying here? Well, what he's not saying is, well, David broke the law, so I can break the law too, right? That would be the argument of a preschooler. Mom, but, but Katie took a cookie. Why can't I take a cookie too? Right? That's, that's pretty unconvincing, and that's not the direction that Jesus goes. Instead, He's making a different argument. He's making a much more compelling argument, I think. 
what he's saying is that if we look at the story of David in the Old Testament, we see that there are times when it appears that one of God's laws are being violated, when in fact it's not actually being violated because there's something else at play. There's a degree of flexibility in God's laws that allows for some of the complex situations that we face in life. And Jesus is saying this example of David was was one of those situations where we see some flexibility in God's law. But Jesus is also making another claim. And this, I think, is the more important claim. The claim that he's making is that Jesus, not the Pharisees, are the one who has the right to interpret the law of God. The Pharisees had put all these fence laws in place as a way of interpreting the law for the people. But Jesus is saying, you've got it wrong. You're not exactly on track here. You've misinterpreted God's intent in the law. But I am the one who has the right to interpret the law of God, to understand what the law of God means and what the purpose is behind it. Only I have the authority to do that. And then he makes this bold statement in verse 5. He says that the Son of Man, just referring to himself, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus turns the Pharisees' attempt to make him out to be a lawbreaker as an opportunity to teach them and to teach us about who he really is. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Right? And if he's the Lord of the Sabbath, what does that say about him? It says that he's, he's much more than just a man. Right? And this is what we've been seeing in Luke for the last several weeks. He's much more than just a man. He's something more. Here the claim is to be Lord of the Sabbath. We know that he's the Son of God. I'm not sure that that's the exact claim that he's making here, but it's not a far leap from Lord of the Sabbath to Lord God. And I think that we can see that clearly in this passage. So Jesus makes this bold statement that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and this upsets the Pharisees, right? They're not too happy about this. But up to this point, Jesus hasn't, he hasn't proven anything. He's just, it's just been words. In the next scene, starting in verse 6, we're going to see Jesus authenticate the claims that he's just made. So starting in verse 6, the text says, On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So here we're running into another of the fence laws that the Pharisees had created. Now, the Pharisees, they tend to get a a pretty bad rap today. They weren't completely cold-hearted, and even some of their laws reflect that. So they had built into the law that there were some exceptions to the Sabbath. One of them was life-threatening situations. If a life was at stake, you were permitted to work on the Sabbath to save the life, to heal the person, whatever. In that case, you were permitted to work on the Sabbath. So... Uh, ambulance drivers, emergency room doctors, these people are allowed to work on the Sabbath. Primary care physicians, not so much. But in this passage, what's the man's issue? He's got a withered hand. Clearly, it's not a life-threatening situation. So according to the Pharisees, this is something, it's got to wait till the next day. Well, 
Jesus knew exactly what the Pharisees were thinking, and, and he wasn't afraid of them. He wasn't afraid of confrontation. So he, he turns to the man with the withered hand, and he has him stand up right in the middle of everyone. And then he turns to the Pharisees and says, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now, this is a fundamentally different question than the Pharisees were asking. Essentially, the question in the Pharisees' mind is, is there any reason why this man should be healed on the Sabbath? Their answer is no. Jesus asks, is there any reason why this man should not be healed on the Sabbath? And for Jesus, the answer is also no. No, there's no reason why healing this man should wait another day, because Jesus understood the purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to be a day of restoration. So Jesus says to the man, he has him stand up, and then he says, reach out your hand. So the man reaches out his hand, and then it says, and his hand was restored. So on the Sabbath, this day of restoration, Jesus understands what the Sabbath is all about. So when the man with the withered hand comes forward, Jesus restores his hand. And what's the response of the Pharisees? They're ticked. They're upset. Right? They, don't, they don't see what Jesus wants them to see. And this continues for the rest of Jesus' ministry, and we know how it ends. Right? They, they never understand who he is, and they end up crucifying the Lord of the Sabbath. They end up crucifying the Son of God. So let me summarize Jesus' thoughts about the Sabbath in three brief statements. First, the Sabbath has not been abolished. Right? That's not Jesus' argument here. He doesn't say it's been done away with. And actually, in Matthew 5, we see clearly Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So what Jesus is not saying here is that the Sabbath has been abolished. Second, we see that the Sabbath is intended for our good, not for our harm. We see that in that Jesus heals this man without any regard for what the Pharisees thought about it. We also see it in the same story as Mark tells it. He includes another statement that Jesus made which is that the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. The point is that the Sabbath is here for our good. It's not here for our harm. Third, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And and this is what Jesus wants people to realize. He is the one who has the right and the ability to determine what is and what is not allowable on the Sabbath. Right? That wasn't the Pharisee's job. Only Jesus has the authority to do that. Only he can, in every situation, rightly understand what God intended with his law. Okay, well, that's our first two questions. I want to move on to our third question. This is our our really practical question, the question of, should we practice the Sabbath today? By this point, I, I hope the answer to that is somewhat clear, right? Jesus does not abolish the Sabbath. And we, we see that even in this passage, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus was a religious observer of the Sabbath, going to the synagogue every week on the Sabbath. And in the early church, people continued to observe the Sabbath. Now, in the second century, they switched it from Saturday, which was the Jewish Sabbath, to Sunday as a way of remembering the resurrection of Christ that took place on a Sunday. But they continue to, establish, uh, to, to observe the Sabbath. So there's some sense, at least, in which we should, too. And and we see this just from from the fact, if we go back to 
to Genesis, right? That rest is built into creation. And in our lives, we know that if we don't rest, things stop working like they're supposed to work, like they're supposed to work. And today, I think this is more common maybe than it's ever been, right? Increasingly, more and more, people are, are working more and resting less. And even when they're not working, they're filling their time with entertainment instead of with Sabbath rest. When I think about rest and Sabbath, my mind goes back to college. And I think about both Lindsay, my wife, and I, we were, we were very busy in college. Lindsay, more so than me. And, you know, lots of, lots of good things to fill up the time. Um, Lindsay was a great student. She was a really hard worker. She was working part-time. She was playing in a band. Uh, she was dating me, which took some time. Um, all of these things that took time, time and energy. And uh, at the end of the day, there was really little time for sleep, much less for a whole day off. Well, at the end of every semester, pace would pick up, finals would come, and school would wind down, work would wind down, and Lindsay would be sick in bed, semester after semester, from just going so hard, right? And, and if you've ever had a season of your life that's particularly busy and particularly stressful, you may notice that those are times when our bodies let down, because we're not meant to go 24-7, 365. We're meant to rest. We're meant to have a Sabbath. So yes, in some sense, I think it's clear that we're supposed to observe the Sabbath. The question is, how do we do that? What does that look like? And there's some difficult questions about this. Does it have to be the same day every week? Does it have to be a whole day of doing nothing? Can I mow my lawn on the Sabbath? Can I go for a run on the Sabbath? All these questions that, that make it difficult to know how exactly to practice the Sabbath. I want to try to help us understand how to do that by breaking Sabbath practices into two categories, external and internal external Sabbath practices. This is rest for our physical bodies, right? This is allowing our physical bodies to be restored. And again, this is something that's important. It's necessary, and we see it throughout Scripture as an important thing to do. But it's hard to know exactly what is and what is not rest on the Sabbath. I was thinking about this the other week. Uh, Just last weekend, uh, since I... I'm working at a church. Sunday is not the best day for me to have as a day of rest um, because there's lots of things going on. So I try to take Saturday as my Sabbath. Two weeks ago, I found myself doing some personal finance stuff, getting stuff ready for taxes. And it was three or four hours of working on this. And at the end, I felt anything but rested. And I'm thinking, okay, is this acceptable to do on the Sabbath? Like, what, what is and what is not okay to do on my day of rest? But as I was thinking about that, I realized that's starting to sound an awful lot like what the Pharisees were saying. Right? They wanted to define very clearly what is and what is not acceptable to do on the Sabbath. I think a better approach is to think about what the Sabbath is for. It's meant to be a day of restoration. So I think that's the better thing to think about, is are we being restored by the way that we're observing the Sabbath. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York, and he's got a helpful suggestion here. He suggests dividing Sabbath time into three different types of time, avocational, contemplative, and inactive. Three different ways to observe the Sabbath. Avocational time. This is time where you're working at things that you're not getting paid at. 
right? Maybe for you, that's mowing the lawn. Maybe it's going for a run. Maybe it's even doing taxes. For me, that wasn't the case. Maybe it is for you. Maybe it's playing an instrument. Whatever it is, these are things that you, you're working at, but they're, they're restful for you. They're energizing for you. Avocational. Contemplative. This is where worship comes in. I haven't said much about worship up to this point, but worship is an essential part of the Sabbath. This is what Jesus would do on the Sabbath. He would go to the synagogue, and he would worship, and he would teach. So worship, contemplative worship, thinking about who God is, praising him for who he is, thanking him for the blessings in our lives, these are appropriate things to do on the Sabbath. And coming to church can be a huge part of that, but it can't be the only part. There should be other elements, other contemplative elements, worshipful elements that we're incorporating into our Sabbath. The third type of time is inactive time, right? This is just unstructured time, time where you're not planning on doing anything. You've got flexibility. If something comes up, you can do it, but you're, you're resting, you're watching football, you're taking a nap on a Sunday afternoon, whatever it is for you where it's just, it's just inactive. There's no schedule. It's time to just sit and relax. This is an important thing to have as a part of your Sabbath. Combining these three things can help us have a balanced Sabbath. So those are some external Sabbath practices. But what about the internal? What, what does it even mean to practice an internal Sabbath? Well, internal Sabbath practices are habits. They're, they're attitudes of our heart and mind that go deeper than just our actions. And the goal here is more than just rest for our physical bodies. The, the goal here is to find rest for our souls. And we'll find, I think, that no amount of physical rest will leave us feeling restored if we haven't taken time to find rest for our souls. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. St. Augustine, in his Confessions, says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The key to finding rest for our souls is to find rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. Coming to Christ to find our rest. This is, about, this is what internal Sabbath practice is about. And I think internal Sabbath practices come down to an issue of trust in two different ways. First, we have to trust that God will provide. If we don't trust that God will provide for our needs, if we don't trust, if we don't recognize that everything that we have isn't a, isn't a result of our work as much as it's a result of God's provision, if we don't trust that he's going to continue to provide for us, then we're, we're never going to be rested, either internally or externally, because we're always going to be worried about making sure that we have enough, making sure that we're set, making sure that we're going to be okay. So the first step to finding rest for our souls is to trust that, no, God is going to provide. He's provided in the past. He promises that he's going to provide in the future. Trust that God will provide. And, and the second component of trust, as it's related to these internal Sabbath practices is to trust in the work 
that Christ has accomplished. To trust that everything that needs to be done, everything that is absolutely essential has already been accomplished on the cross. There's nothing that, that absolutely needs to be done besides what Jesus did on the cross. And that thing has been done. That thing is finished. His work on the cross is complete. So if we want to find rest for our souls, we need to trust in his finished work on the cross. We need to recognize that our status before God isn't contingent on our work. It's not contingent on the things that we do. It's only contingent on what Jesus has done on the cross, on the work that he has already completed. The work has been done. His favor has already been granted to us through his work on the cross. Our role is just to come to him in faith and to rest in the work that he has already accomplished. The extent to which we can find rest in the Lord of the Sabbath is the extent to which we will be able to allow Sabbath practices to become a normal part of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Sabbath. I thank you for rest. Lord, I thank you that you created us to need Sabbath rest, to need time to be restored. As a reminder that we can't do it on our own. We are so dependent on you. God, I thank you for the cross, for the finished work of Christ. And Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you would allow us to rest in that, to give up trying to earn our way, to give up trying to do things on our own, but just to be able to rest in the work that you have accomplished. In Jesus' name.